Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Denver Broncos training camp 2023. Their practice is going on right now. In fact, it's usually the second hour of that two-hour practice where things really start to get cooking. We're going to have Cecil Lammy on next segment, and he's there at practice. He's going to break it down, what's going on there. And uh, Andrew Mason's got a really good article on denversports.com right now. It's called How Payton Wants to Create a Smart Football Team at Broncos Training Camp. And clearly that's an emphasis, and Andrew talks in the article about several times at practice, Sean Payton stops practice, brings everyone up, and breaks down a scenario that they may encounter in a game, and he wants to prepare them for it. Uh, he has erected a sign when you come out of the locker room. It says, 2023, Compete Street. Compete Street. Why are you laughing? Is that a gimmick? <laughs> no, I just love. I just love these. You know, these these coaches. You know, little little things they try to do. What would they, what would be a thing you did? Uh, I would have signs up. Snake I would. Street. I, no, it'd be something football related. But it's you know it's a branch off of uh, Pete Carroll's tree of compete every day when you go to practice. Every day is about competition. Every day is about walking off this field better at something. Every day is about uh, trying to you know better yourself, therefore bettering your teammates. So for Sean Payton to go with Compete Street, um, you know, which is a, a playoff of I don't know Beach Street from when we were you know kids uh, when <laughs> hip hop was first happening. I don't know what it's from. But okay, compete street. Let's do it. You you walk on this field, you're going to compete. You got to hammer those kind of messages into your team's head. Um, this is a funny. This is a funny text from our, our resident troll who likes to text in. But um, I believe it's tougher to play in the NFL uh, today because the play calling is more complicated and complex, and the schemes are a lot harder to understand. Back in the day, Big O, Chad, Nate, not hard to understand play calling. Don't believe the players' club could make it in the NFL now. <laughs> Man, this guy must have never been around a Peyton Manning because if you could go to, like, Peyton, we had this value menu thing, right, where I, I know that you guys, but for the listeners, I'll just point it out again. You know, if you go to McDonald's and you want a, a, a Big Mac with a medium fry and a medium drink, you, you just say, hey, let me get a number one medium, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so Peyton had this value menu now with play calling where we could go from 1 through 20 and he could just say – Biggie or Small, which Biggie was to the right because you had me and Luis Vasquez on the right. Small was to the left because Ryan Clady and Zane Beatles, they were the smaller guys. But then he would go 1 through 20. Well, Peyton would sit there and watch the the game tape and he would say a number too many times and he'd think that the team would be catching on. So now he would start using quarterback names. So like one became like Warren Moon because Warren Moon wore that number. But he could use Warren or Moon or one (laughs) for that one play, right? right? Where eight now became Archie Manning, right? Where he could use eight Archie or Manning, 
I, I would say was very complex with um, how the game was played. I and those are the, only symbols of the actual play. So you don't not yeah. just have to know the actual play and your scheme and your technique, but the symbols that refer to those plays. Yes, and you know, just coaching two years ago, I think the NFL has got a lot easier with how they call plays personally. That's what I've seen. Well, that's what I wanted to get into a little bit because when I was a kid growing up, football to me was I watched the entire football game start to finish and I understand situations because I've seen it transpire. I have, whenever a situation would arise in a game, I knew that because I'd watched it and I'd seen it and I drilled it. These days, these players didn't grow up necessarily watching football games start to finish. Right, Chad? Right. So how do you create smart football players, situationally aware football players, when they haven't been exposed to those situations before. Does it work to teach them to uh, teach them these things in fragmentary moments on the football field to call them up and like? So Sean Payton says he's got forty eight or fifty list uh, a list of situations up on the board on Centura Tra- Tra- Centura Health Training Center, and they check off one of them when they do it. Um, is that a, is that a, is that a good way to teach these guys this stuff? You can't sit them down and, and make them watch, uh, you know, football. Uh, like, a three-hour like, game? Like we did when we were kids. No. So you've got to take advantage of these teaching opportunities. And this is where the teaching actually comes in um, because you're teaching the situation. Uh, you know, coaching, we think about it as, you know, well, put your hand here and use this shoulder and, and, you know, grit your teeth when you drive into this guy. That's that's coaching. But this is where teaching comes in where you've got to get everybody to understand the situation and how it relates to their particular position. Um, so the best coaches I've ever been around found ways to break the game down into understandable situations and then teach you how that situation affects your thought process before that particular play. Is it a two-minute situation? And we need to, uh, defensively, we want to make sure we lay on the, the guy who we just tackled to chew up more clock. Is it a four-minute situation where offensively they want to run the ball and the running back should need to stay in bounds and never go out of bounds? We don't do, want to do anything to stop the clock. Penalties in those situations can kill a four-minute drive. So the coaches have to be able to continually harp in whenever these situations come up what the rules are for his particular you know list of guys. The rules are different for the offensive line than they are for the wide receivers, than they are for the defensive backs, than they are for the edge guys. So each situation has its own set of rules, and whether it's stopping practice like Sean Payton has done, or whether it's like Bill Belichick would do, where every day there was a situational aspect to the team meeting that we discussed. And he showed old tape, he showed you know last year's tape, he showed practice tape on it, to get us to understand and contextualize the situation for our position group. I think with football... As a coach, from the coach's aspect, you've got to create an environment that your players feel comfortable and safe in. And, you know, that player is not going to feel like if I speak up right now, this coach is going to yell at me or scream at me or make me feel like I'm, you know, less smart in this room. I think that's on coaching from day one. You've got to create that environment because if you have that environment, players are going to come up to you and tell you if they're not understanding something. But also from a, a coach's aspect, you, you want to weed out the players that are not student of the game. If a guy's not a student of the game, I don't care how athletic you are. I don't care how physically gifted you are. I don't want you in my locker room if you're not a student of the game because you do have to go over these 50 different situations. And each situation is as equally important because you might find yourself in that situation and now the game is on the line. 
I think if you're able to create a great working environment where these guys can ask questions, they don't feel less of a person if they stand up and ask a question, that's going to make guys a little bit more inclined. But also you want students of the game. You know, I watched a documentary on, on Brett Favre, and he talks about how many years of football he played in the National Football League before he realized what nickel was mm. versus, like, base. And you're just like, whoa. Instinct, like, man. Like, yeah, like. Just in his blood. That, that's, that's absolutely amazing. But why did he feel that he had to talk to another player about that? Why couldn't he go to the head coach, yeah. the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach, and ask that question a long time ago to figure that out? A lot of different situations that could arise in, 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 in a game. And like Sean Payton talked about, you know, you might go two or three years and not see it. But then when it happens, it might win you or lose you the game. As we go along this show, we're going to get into that audio a little bit. But um, our boy, Cecil Lammy, boots on the ground. He's at practice right now, and he'll join us next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. So Cecil Lammy is so enthralled right now with practice, he's not answering his phone. Let me finish! I'm trying to watch practice. Let me finish. Russell's looking good. Let me finish. Let me finish. So before we get Cecil on the air, I want to keep talking about smart football players versus dumb football players and Sean Payton trying to figure out what he's got. And we got Cecil. Cecil Lammy joining us. Um, yeah. Yeah, appreciate you joining us. He's sorry to pull you away from practice. I know it's getting into the exciting part right now, but what are you seeing out there? Yeah, I can't really say, <laughs> you know, per the media policy. But All right, just see you later. Seven on seven. It's a lighter day today. Um, I think that's the word that Sean Payton used the other day when they had one of these, like, no fans at practice, but media is here, but you can't really say what you're watching. But seven on seven just started, and I'll continue to assume that as the day goes on, we'll see some team drills and see if this offense can continue what they had on Saturday. Saturday was arguably the best day for Russell Wilson and company out there, finishing with that 40-plus bomb to Jerry Judy for a touchdown. People going excited. People getting nuts about this offense because it's taking some time. As you guys all know, in training camp, usually the defense is head of the offense, but the offense is striking back. They did that on Friday. They did it on Saturday. It's a light day today, but we'll see if the offense can maintain some of that. Well, last week, Cecil, there was a lot of conversation about Russell Wilson and interceptions and where where is he as far as learning this Sean Payton offense, he and Sean Payton being on the same page. You've been pretty vocal about your support for Russell Wilson. Um, can you, Looking back at last week, can you see where the naysayers were coming from and where do you see him going into this new week as far as his assimilation into the Sean Payton offense? Yeah, and you guys will remember uh, Chad Pennington, right? Um, and Chad was considered a gamer by a lot of people. I know some people don't like that word because it's like, what, you suck in practice and you're okay in the game? Like, what? Like, all right, and I'm not saying Russ is a gamer. We've seen Russ have some good practices. You know, we've seen Russ do those good things. I think people are so put off by last year that they see some similar things this year. And, you know, we're only going to tell you the truth. 
they see some similar things and they make the automatic assumption like it's going to be exactly the same. Well, he's learning new things. He's going through new things. They're not running the offense. They're running plays, as we've often said on these airwaves, like let him run the ball. Let him set up that play action. Let him set up some of those deep shots. Let him work the underneath stuff after they've ran the ball. You're not really doing that in practice. So when the fans or even members of, of the fan on our own staff, you know, get worried about these rush interceptions, I say, you know, let him do it in practice. If it comes to a game, he's still doing that, then obviously we're going to take issue with it. To me, it's the batted passes at the line of scrimmage. Every single day, and I can't tell you about today, but every single day we're seeing at least one batted pass at the line of scrimmage. That's an unforgivable sin because a lot of those can turn into interceptions or turnovers, something like that. Like you're, you, you don't want that from Russell Wilson. So that is a larger concern to me, and it's a daily concern. There's been days where he doesn't throw picks out here. There's been days when he throws a couple three picks out here. Uh, but it's the batted passes and how every day somebody's getting their paws up and getting their hands on that football. That's more of a concern to me with Russell Wilson in terms of how he's looking out here. See, so I know you can't tell us much about practice, but talk to us about the body language and the intensity because I truly believe that you can learn a lot about a football team after they have a day off and how they show up yes. to practice the following day, but also after um, they've been a week into training camp. Yeah. I, oh, I'll text you later, O, but let's just say there's some shoulder slouches today. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel the energy's a little bit different coming back from that day off. Um, you know, not to get any specifics, but I agree with you. Like, sometimes there's more of a sharpness, and it's the grind of camp, and you get a day off. Well, maybe they need this lighter day to ramp up for when fans are back out here tomorrow, so they look a little bit better. I'll, I'll say today the energy seems to be a little a little groggy, right? That's a, bit, a little coffee, a little case of the Mondays out here at Centura Health Training Center, something like that. Again, can't get into specifics, but I'm glad you point that out, oh, oh, because it gives me a chance to say what's actually going on. And there's some struggles today. So we wanted that offense to carry over the momentum from Saturday. I'm, it's not over yet, but I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be the case based on the energy that I'm seeing or lack of energy I'm seeing out here. Cecil, to be a potent NFL offense, you have to be able to run the football and pass the football. The run leads to the pass. The pass leads to the run. The tight end is the hinge between the run and the pass in an effective offense. You can have a running back who can't catch. You can have a wide receiver who can't block. But the tight end has to do both well, okay? And so Greg Dulcich, in my opinion, is the hinge that's going to let this offense Run well and block well. I'm sorry, and pass well, but he's got to become a better blocker. What have you seen from Greg Dulcich in the running game, and has it given you hope? Yeah, um, Dulcich is fine with the third team. <laughs> like when he's catching passes from Jared Stidham or Ben DiNucci, he looks real good. And once in a while, he'll get something against Russ, but it's Adam Troutman. If we're talking about first team for this, and I know everyone loves Dulcich and they love the hair, and I really appreciate that Dulcich has took his lower body seriously this year because last year had those hamstring problems, had a really thin lower body. Now look at his quads, look at his bubble. He's done a lot of work. I'm sorry. Part of his body. His bubble? You can tell that. Oh, you always got to look at the bubble, man. The bubble will tell you a lot. Bubble always, tells you a lot. It does. At, I'm always staring at football players' bubbles. But then, Trust either the way, bubble. Trust the like bubble. with Dulcich, you see the work that he's done there. I got to see it as a blocker. And I talked to Adam Troutman last week. Uh, we may or may not have the audio floating around somewhere, but Troutman told me, like, it's such a big deal to be a blocker because you can't be a tell. And when Greg Dulcich is on the field, it's pass, everybody. It's not as bad as Albert Okawebenom because Albert O just 
can't really block, unfortunately, because he's chiseled like a Greek god. But Dulcich, it's a tell right now. He's on the field, just well, in a run play because he can't block. So we got to see it. Pads come on, game time, you know, work in progress. I have hope for Dulcich. He's reworked his body. I appreciate that. He's a great receiving weapon, and he is the Joker. But just like in Batman, I won't nerd out on you guys too much, but there's three Jokers. So there's Adam Troutman, there's Greg Dulcich, and hell, I even think Chris Manhurst can do a little something because he's catching more passes out here than people would think. Which one's Jack Nicholson? <laughs> That's probably... It could be Dulcich. Let's say that. It could be. Dulcich is the best one. If he can just kind of block... He can be a Pro Bowl caliber type of talent. But if he can't block, then he'll be like Albert O, sparingly used. Cease, uh, so much talk about the offense. Uh, let's talk about the defense, the other side of the ball. Um, have they been playing well, and that's the reason why the offense hasn't looked good? And have you seen any standouts who would worth the, uh, the, the, comment, the comment from you? Yeah, Jaquan McMillan. Every day, or quote Vic Fangio on that, like every day, Jaquan McMillan, he's doing something, he's talking about it. I love it, right? When people are like, oh, football players are so egotistical. I don't want Stuart Smalley on the football field. I don't want someone that has to be talked into how great he is. I want someone like Jaquan McMillan who knows he's good and he's showing that he's good and he's going up against some of those larger receivers like a Cortland Sutton and knocking passes away and telling everybody about it. I like that. Now Jaquan gets a little, gets a little grabby. At times, got a little soft gardener to his game, which is good and a bad thing because he's going to get a little grabby out there. But he's one of those daily consistent guys that's just showing up uh, from the corner position. And the secondary so deep anyway. You love what you see from that back half of the defense. It's Nick Benito wrecking anybody. The tackles are a concern here. Uh, we we talk plenty of offensive line. We should talk more because the ta- even Bulls, Bulls is a concern. I don't know if you want to blame the injury or whatever, but like so the pass rushers, they're getting after Jonathan Cooper. Probably the biggest star of camp every single day is Jonathan Cooper. Nick Benito's coming through, wrecking everybody. So you definitely have some defense. I would say for today, I have to veil it here, everybody, but I'm not going to drop anything or drop any sort of knowledge about what's happening in practice today. But if I were to drop something, it might be, hey, Monday, (laughs) Tuesday, I might hopefully see less drops or something. I don't know. Ah, you, you veiled it very well there for us, Cecil. Appreciate it. Get back out there and do what you do best. All right. See you, fellas. Thanks. Thanks Cecil. There he goes, uh, Cecil Lammy. So he had uh, some interesting things to say. We're going to react to what Cecil said, including, including the slouching shoulders, the body language. Do these guys have the training camp blues? That's next. Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Welcome back to the Players Club. We are halfway through the third hour of the Players Club. We're getting three hours during training camp, and it's nice. We get to get in a little rhythm, guys. We can get to you know, just be comfortable and and dig into do some what ideas. Players do, man. Do what Get players hang do. Hang on out. And look, football games are three hours long. We're used to that, right? We're not basketball players. We can perform for three hours. We can, yeah. And Rocky Skippy. And if we can't, Rocky Mountain Men's Clinic can help us do it. <laughs> yes, sir. I don't know if your partner's going to like that. <laughs> Is it over yet? <laughs> Let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so I want to answer this question from the RamosLaw.com text line because someone's saying, Nate, as a tight end, 
What's so hard about blocking? Is it technique or is it effort? Uh, it's both. It's actually both. And if you're not a natural type of blocker, like some, you know, some guys have the body type and have the experience and are just good at it. And so they get to the NFL and they just have to build on that skill set. Um, but the guys like Greg Dulcich, who have been labeled the pass receiving tight end, and those are the guys who get the most juice coming out in the draft. And the guy, you know, he was drafted high because of his ability in the passing game, not in his ability as a blocker, but in order to be a reliable offensive player and a guy who can be an effective hinge between the running game and the passing game, like Cecil was talking about. Adam Troutman knows he needs to be a good run blocker, and so does and so does Greg Dulcich. When you're not good at it, the effort is difficult because you don't want to stick your face in there and pop somebody who weighs 270 pounds and go to war with that dude because that dude is better than you at that hand-to-hand combat. He's better than you at that close fighting situations. He's his technique is stronger. He's been doing that his whole life with a hand in the dirt. Yeah, just to your point as well, what I would say is you're going against a guy that all they're practicing is how do I stop the run? How do I uh, defend a pass? When, you know, they're looking forward, like a pass rusher, Chad played this position, but I'm sure you guys like third down when it's third and, and six plus versus third and two. And you have Obviously. to worry about the run. Right. Right. So, like, that's your money down. I remember, like, being around defense and all of a sudden they're, they're throwing up dollar signs. They're doing things with their fingers. <laughs> they're all excited because it's third down. Let's go, baby. Right. But these guys are every single day, they're, they're practicing on how to, defeat the person that's in front of them at the tight end room every single day you don't do that you're not practicing how to you know go win this hand-to-hand combat as much as you're practicing in the run game you're doing probably if not the same amount more in the passing game so you're not even really getting a unique opportunity as far as the reps to go out there really and be successful i've always looked at the tight end position and said that's the most handicapped position out there on the football field because you have to be so much involved in the run in the passing game but yet Hey, third and seven, go block Nick Bosa off the edge. Yeah, good luck with you got to do it by yourself, and we got to have it in this situation. Yeah, and the Nick Bosa's of the world are are used to trying to beat guys like you, and and their technique and their you know their skill set is is typically to beat a much longer, a much much larger, much stronger man. And all of a sudden, the tight end steps in front of him who doesn't have that skill set or the weight behind him or the technique, and you get thrown around. So part of being a Part of becoming a decent blocker is the lumps you have to take every day of practice to do so. You have to get embarrassed. You have to get thrown around. You have to fire off and stick your head in there and whiff a couple times to understand that it's not just about firing off with pace. You have to have technique. You have to get your face up. You can't have your head down. But at the same time, when you are timid as a blocker and you're first learning to fire off, you think, all I got to do is fire off like a missile and get him, and that's me winning or at least me improving. No, you have to fire off like a missile but with technique and know where your hat placement and your hand placement is. It's always funny when you see a tight end kind of fire off and they're like on their tippy toes and they're like, oh, I'm just going to drive this guy back. Yep. Oh, you got to fire off, have a base, and like kind of try to carry that guy back. Like that, like it's picking up a sandbag and, and kind of duck walking and keeping your whole foot in the ground. And, and that's how you move that person back. Conversations about technique on, on this because I think it's so fascinating what gets you great in one room necessarily doesn't do that in another room. As an edge rusher, you're always in a sprinter stance. Right. Always. Like, it's always one foot over the other. It's long steps. And now you go on the offensive side and with tight ends, 
yeah, it's long steps in the passing game, but now if it's in the run game and you're involved in the run game, it's a lot smaller steps and it's the whole foot in the ground aspect. Yeah, and ideally when you go down into a three-point stance, that three-point stance should always look the same, whether you're going to run block, whether you're going to pass set, or whether you're going to fire off. And it's very difficult to have that kind of balance and um, integrity in your stance to not give it away at all. Right, Chad? Are you looking at a tight end stance to figure out what the play is going to be? Absolutely. I'm, I'm dialing in as much information as I possibly can. So tight end stance, tackle stance, I'm, I'm looking at all that. And sometimes somebody may be a better disguiser of it, but then there's other people out there who are revealing what the intentions are. So, yeah, I'm trying to look at the whole picture. But, yes, if I'm an edge guy playing outside of a tight end, I can generally tell whether you're going to be blocking me or whether you're going to be going out on a route, I would say with 95% accuracy. Really? Yes. Was there ever a tight end? <laughs> you got to turn well, on your uh, mic to do radio. radio yeah. uh, was there ever a tight end where it didn't matter? Like, I, I look, last year, right before the Broncos went and played against San Fran, right before San Fran came in, I said, watch Trent. Trent's going to tell you what's going on on every single play. Trent Williams. It doesn't matter for Trent because Trent's just... Uh, a superhuman out there, but it matters now for the left guard, the center, everybody else on that offensive line. So was there ever really a tight end where that guy may have not had the best technique or, you know, he would tell you what he's doing every single time, but yet he was still able to have success more often than not? Uh, no, not generally, because, you know, the, the, the tight ends leaned one way or the other. Either you were the run-blocking guy or you're the receiving guy. So when you're playing Shannon Sharp and Tony Gonzalez, most of the time you knew they, they were not going to be on the front side of the play. They were going to be on the back side of the play. They were going to have the cutoff block. They weren't looking to have that, you know, that tight end root me out of there and run off tackle based on his block. Um, and then versus, uh, you know, versus uh, Dwayne Carswell, you know, when he would play uh, tight end for the Broncos, we didn't even regard him as a receiver. No one covered him because they didn't throw to him. He caught like five or six passes max a year. So he was not part of the coverage discussion. Even though he lined up at tight end and wore an eligible number, we didn't care. Go out and catch your pass for four yards. We'll tackle you. We'll live to fight another day. We know that they're not going to throw you a ball in a critical situation, nor are you going to be included in the pass route in some critical situation. Is tight end the hardest position to develop in football? I think so, just because it's, of course, I'm biased, but um, but I think so because you have to have a grasp on every element of the offense, whereas receivers don't. You don't need to know the running game down there. You don't need to know the pass protection calls. You don't need to know the fronts. You don't need to understand blitzes down there. You don't need to understand combination blocks and gaps and all that stuff. And conversely, the running backs don't necessarily need to understand um, the complexity of the route tree and the concepts in the passing game. Their route trees typically, well, it depends on the, on the team you run. Like Christian McCaffrey, he runs every route in the route tree. Yeah. So some running backs have to know just as much as a tight end. Um, but um, the offensive linemen obviously aren't listening to the concepts of the passing game. They're just listening to the protection, right? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and the quarterback, I'll, I'll even go take this a step further. The quarterback has the macro view on it. He'll tell you where you're supposed to end up, but he can't tell you how to do it. He can't tell you the technique that you need to do that. He can't tell you what to look for. He can yeah. tell you where you're supposed to be there, man. Yeah. But he can't tell you how to do it. Yeah, tight end position, extremely hard, man. I, I that That's a receiving tight end all the way, right? Oh, yeah. You're not really worried about him. And is that, can you win and win long term 
with a football team having guys that just specialize in certain things in the tight end room. Right now we have Greg Dosis and Albert O. Both guys are, are freakish athletes, should be really good for the Broncos in the passing game, but both guys you wonder if they're going to be able to get it done or even have the willingness to get it done in the run game. I think that's a really great question because last year they tried to assemble a tight end room where everyone did one thing well. Um, but nobody did it all well, and you saw what happened with that offense. I'm more in favor of somebody who's a believable frontside blocker. Because the thing about being the, you know, what, what Chad was just talking about, Shanna Sharp is the backside blocker. On well, If you're the backside decoy, you're, the route you run on a keeper is not as dynamic as a route you get to run if you're on the front side. The front side um tight end on a keeper game. It's a fake handoff, and then you get to peel around and run that deep cross, and you're wide open in space, like 12 yards down the field, whereas the backside tight end on that block or on that run fake ends up just running a little flat. So the opportunities for run after the catch and the space in front of you isn't as good unless you're the front side tight end, the strong side tight end. Um, Dwayne Carswell in 2000, 49 receptions, Chad. No. Yeah, 34 receptions the following year, Chad. I wonder how many people were banged up. Give House his due. He made the Pro Bowl in 2001. He was was the best tight end blocker uh, that I faced consistently throughout my career. And he was number 89. They called him House because he was a house. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he retired, I took his number. And you know what they called me? Little House. Mm-hmm. On White, the Prairie? White House. <laughs> White House. Oh, man. It's the Players Club on the fan. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Players Club. Denver Broncos practice sort of probably winding down. Stokely and Zach were out there as they have been every single day. And I imagine one of them is making his way here right now. Maybe both of them in their vehicles listening to the Players Club. And uh, we look forward to their assessment of what they saw out there. But we heard a little bit from Cecil, guys. And and he talked a little bit about, now he couldn't say much. I can't say much. I'm here at practice. I can't talk about practice. I've called to talk about practice, but I can't talk about practice. Wink, wink. You get me? But he did say that there were some slouching shoulders, Chad. Yeah, there you go. You have um, a lot of experience in football. You've been to 15 NFL training camps. There are some days that are that way. Absolutely. And that's just natural. It is it, natural. Human, yes, it's human nature. After a day off, when you come back, um, those are typically some of the worst days during camp. And that's when the coaches are asking for your football character and your football maturity to show up. Don't show up and have us try to beg you for effort. Don't show up feeling, you know, sorry for yourself. Oh, you got to go back to work after a day off. And I could have used a couple days off and all that. Feeling sorry for yourself stuff, stuff. Why is that, though? Shouldn't we be, in theory, like, re- refreshed and, like, ready to go? You got an extra day of treatment. Why is it that no matter what, you get yelled at after that day of practice, that day off? Yeah, it's... You get a taste of the real world, yeah. and you're like, there's a life outside of football, and it doesn't hurt as much mm-hmm. as football. You get comfortable. In the, it's like coming out back after the bye week. Yeah. Right? You're just, like, not... You don't have the... Like, the callus kind of fades a little bit. Totally. You, you've, you've gotten off schedule. You know, you've got a, you had a chance to sleep in. You had a chance to lay around. And so after a day of that, 
it's hard to come back and hit the ground running. It's opposite human nature. So those are always the toughest days that you have the coaches yelling. And that, hey, and, bring it up. This is not good enough. Yes. And then Guys, you, hey, come on, let's go. And then the night meeting, there may be three or four times where someone's effort is highlighted on the screen or their lack of effort, I should say. Um, and then tomorrow, we got to be better, man. We got to hit the ground running. There's work to be done. There's things to accomplish. All those coaching things will be said tonight in the meeting due to the low energy slouching shoulders we saw at practice. Bro, I was, uh, I spent a year in Cleveland one week uh, at the end of training camp of 2009 and dude you talk about videotaping and putting it on the on the screen for everybody to, to pick apart your effort Eric Mangini had him videotaping warm-ups wow warm-ups and I'm talking just like warm-up calisthenic type of thing running through some bags he put that on the screen and just was you know laying into dudes for warm-up. lack of effort in warm-up mm. This was a, he did a lot of questionable stuff, right. but he he stole that stuff from Bill. Yeah. Yes, the bag drills after stretch. Yeah, practice had started, and bag drills were. A He's like, 10, and that's unacceptable. We're a ten out of ten. Nobody from knew that. Yes, but that was a New England thing. So my first couple days, I was like, okay, we're gonna go over the bags. We're gonna go one foot in, one foot out. We're gonna go two feet in, two feet out. Now we're gonna go sideways through the bags. No, 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 my friend. Bags are taken seriously, and it is the maybe. And some days, it was the highest effort thing we did. This is how we start the practice wow. with a 10 out of 10 on the effort okay. scale. So, so hear, hearing you explain it. Out of me because I, my body had to like warm up gradually uh, over not, time. Then you're going to need to get on the field early and wow. get warmed up. Because, yes, bag drills, for real. New England style, they take it quite seriously. So what would you take from New England if you were a head coach and you were to start your own thing? Would you take a lot of the Bill stuff, a lot of the, the Bill Belichick playbook, and try to implement that? I recognize how it worked in that situation. But Bill Cower was also demanding and wanted to have discipline, but went about it a very different way. So there's multiple ways to achieve those things. But typically, these coaches who uh, go on to other places after leaving New England, uh, Matt Patricia, he started his coaching career in New England. So he hadn't seen anything else. Until, you know, until this year where he's going to be, I think he's in Philly as a coordinator, uh, an analyst or something. But, analyst. but, but it, my, my, my point is, you know, he, Bill Belichick gets these guys when they're young and they don't, they don't come from other NFL programs. They come from small colleges. Uh, you know, uh, Patricia went to some kind of polytechnic institute. Um, so his football background was limited to that until he became a Patriot. So when he gets his first head coaching job in Detroit, I'm going to take everything the Bill did. Because that's what works there. But I saw Bill Cower in New England and recognized there were benefits to what the things that he did. And the results were very similar. Mm. So, uh, yeah, if I'm going to magically become an NFL head coach, uh, it's going to be a blend of things. There is going to be some Bill Cower. There's going to be some Bill Belichick, no doubt about that. Uh, there'll be some parts of Mike Holmgren, even though I didn't love all the Mike Holmgren experience. Which, um, what part of it did you like? Because you do talk about Mike Holmgren a lot, and it's r- rarely positive. It's usually like this dude was <laughs> not great. The, the, the precision that he wanted his offense to be run. He was a West Coast offensive guy, and so I would take the precision with that. The receiver is supposed to be not at 14 yards, but at 13 yards. The quarterback is supposed to throw it to the receiver's inside number, not his outside number. Not that we're ever going to be able to achieve that every single play. 
But if that is our goal, if we're, de- if we're designing things for that level of precision, then we're going to be more, more accurate as opposed to having a more nearly-willy kind of attitude about things. Matt Patricia right now is a senior defensive assistant right there in Philly. Yeah. But, Chad, when you talk about like the way that you practice and all these different things, um, does it take the quarterback? Is the quarterback the guy that you have to have 100% buy-in from? And the quarterback, does the quarterback have to be kind of a, a guy that says, hey, I'm not above nobody. I'm not beneath nobody. I'm right beside you in order to have that New England type of, um, of, of um, like, team. And, and yeah, that yeah, vibe or whatever, you know, for for that culture to be shifted or changed. Does it all start and kind of end with the quarterback and, you know, him buying in from day one? And- oh, yeah, in New England, uh, that was certainly the case because Tom Brady was that guy. He epitomized the Patriot way. But going back to Pittsburgh, Neil O'Donnell, who was our quarterback and had the respect of the team, he wasn't the team leader. It was the defense. It was Rod Woodson. It was Greg Lloyd. So we were built in a different way. So it doesn't have to be the quarterback. And Neil wasn't the kind of guy who led every conditioning like Tom Brady does, like Russell Wilson tries to do here. So I think you can get by with the different personalities, but you need an alpha dog somewhere. He's got to exist somewhere. He doesn't have to be the quarterback, um, but he has to be on the roster. Do you think the Broncos have, do you, both of you guys, do you guys think the Broncos have that alpha dog? Because for me, the practice that I watched, I saw Russell throw some interceptions. I saw that the practice wasn't really going good. I watched the two-minute drill that started off with two pre-snap penalties. And I'm looking for somebody to be like, let's go. Like, what are you doing? Get your head in the game. Yep. And I have yet to see that from this Denver Broncos team. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's hard to have that guy when you're trying to – build a new culture. You don't know who you have. You got some new guys on the offensive line who are big, you know, um, high-paid dudes, but they're new in the room. And do they feel comfortable speaking up? Garrett Bowles is coming off an injury. He could be that guy. Um, everyone's trying to tiptoe around Sean Payton. What does he want us to do? I think it takes a while to establish the culture before you find out who those leaders are. You know what I mean? I mean, who's the guy? Who's that guy on your team? Obviously, it was Peyton Manning. But who else? But yeah, you, so it came... That's when you start talking about great football teams, teams that really have a shot of winning a Super Bowl going into the year. And I think it comes from multiple people. Yeah, ultimately, Peyton was that guy, and he showed up to work each and every day. But there were other guys on that football team that were that guy as well. Chan Bailey would go out there and say two words in practice. Wasn't really Let's go. Yeah, was like, yeah, you know, but yet he would show you by the way that he played. Ryan Clady as well. Not a big vocal leader, but he would show you by the way they play. And I just think that right now, you know, with the Denver Broncos, I think that that's going to be their biggest struggle this year. I think ultimately Russell Wilson's not being that guy because of how bad it was last year. And also now, you know, he wanted Sean Payton. Now Sean Payton's here. So there is not going to be any excuse or soft landing for his play. It's you better go out there and show up. Yeah, and Russell Wilson's the positive guy. He doesn't want to get negative. He doesn't want to yell. He wants to encourage. He wants to motivate. Uh, but who is that guy? When I got here, Rod Smith would speak up if things weren't going well. It didn't have to be Jake Plummer. Jake would as well. Um, you know, Shannon Sharp was here. Al Wilson was the guy who would do that. Who are these leaders on the Broncos? I think that's going to emerge as camp rolls on. Preseason game this week. And Stokely and Zach on their way here after watching practice. We'll see what they have to say. That was it for us, three hours flies by on the Players Club. Thanks for joining us. Stick around. Stokely and Zach, they're next.